The text for this morning is from verse 54 and 55, the first part. Of course, it's, I will deal with the whole passage, but that especially we should keep in mind that verse. Verse 54, but taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, when death stares you in the face, it is very painful, especially if it involves a young person who is also your own child. You will do anything to save his or her life. That's exactly how it was with Jairus. This man was desperate. His 12-year-old daughter is about to die. He will do anything to keep her alive. He will strip himself of his dignity even if he has to. He is at his wit's end. This is how most people feel in a situation like that, especially those who do not believe that there is a life after death. To them, death is final. That's not the way it is for us as Christians. We believe in the Lord Jesus and we know that even though we die, we will live. It appears that Jairus is someone who believes in the Lord Jesus. For that is to whom he goes for healing. But why does he believe in him? Does he believe that he is the son of God? Does he believe that he is the savior of the world and that he has absolute power over life and death? Or does he believe in him only because of his healing powers? That's what I will preach to you about this morning. The theme for the sermon is as follows. The Lord Jesus teaches the Irish that without true faith, you cannot be healed. And then we will see that you must believe that he is, in the first place, a prophet who is always true to his word, a priest who alone restores life, and finally, a king who has divine power. Wherever the Lord Jesus went, great crowds followed him. No wonder, for he performed so many miracles. He healed many. People came from all over to be cured. But why did he do this? Why did the Lord Jesus go about healing? Well, not just to cure physical ailments in the first place. Know that healing was a means to an end. He wanted to create true faith in the hearts of the people. When the Irish comes to the Lord Jesus, he does so because he is in great distress. His daughter is only 12 years old and who is his only daughter is at the point of death. In front of the whole crowd, this man drops to his knees 
and he pleased with the Lord Jesus to come to his house and lay his hands on his daughter so that she could be healed. It's quite something that this man came to the Lord Jesus and did what he did. For we are told that he is a ruler of the synagogue. And such a person had quite a prominent position in Israel. He was part of the elite of society and highly regarded. For he presided over the board of the synagogue, which had jurisdiction over many matters. He also conducted and had control over the worship services. And he counted the scribes and Pharisees among his friends. And so he belonged to an influential group of people who were not really friendly to the Lord Jesus. They saw him as an interloper. And now that man falls on his knees before the Lord Jesus. It shows his desperation. But it also shows that he has faith in Christ's power to heal. For he had heard all about it. And so he asked the Lord Jesus to come and lay his hands on his daughter. And it appears that he has some ritual in mind which would... As if, by magic, as if by magic, make that happen. The Lord Jesus, without saying anything, goes with the ruler of the synagogue in the direction of his house. However, the advance towards the ruler's house is very slow. A great cloud continues to press around the Lord Jesus to impede his progress. And this, of course, is to the chagrin of the ruler of the synagogue. He is very anxious about the fate of his daughter and he wants the Lord Jesus to drop everything to help him. He wants him to get there before she dies. And he is a man of authority. He's used to having his requests honored expeditiously. That doesn't happen. Instead, an incident takes place which further delays the Lord Jesus. A woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years comes up behind him and touches the fringe of the Lord Jesus' garment in the hope of being healed. The text does not tell us exactly what the problem was. We do know from Mark's account that she had suffered much at the hands of physicians and she had spent everything that she had for a cure. Some commentators say that the suffering at the hands of the doctors was probably due to the kinds of remedies they prescribed in cases such as that. For example, one treatment would consist of a dose of Persian onions cooked in wine and then administered with the summons, arise out of your flow of blood. Another prescription would be to administer sudden shock or to carry the ash of an ostrich's egg in a certain cloth. But as we know from Dr. Luke's account, no one could heal her. No wonder. Her case was hopeless. And it was especially difficult for her, not just because of the illness itself, but also because her flow of blood made her perpetually unclean. That had many consequences. Someone who was unclean, according to the law in the Old Testament, would become an outcast. All the beds 
chairs, saddles, and vessels such a person touched were declared unclean as well, as would even any person who touched her. And so marital intimacy would also be impossible. A woman who had a continual flow of blood would therefore also remain barren. As such, that is bad enough on its own. But added to that, she would not be allowed to go to the temple either. To church. Can you imagine? If you can't go to church, what an empty life that would be. How you would feel that everybody else can go, but you, you can't. For 12 long years, she will have remained at home while all her friends and relatives went to the temple. She couldn't be part of the communion of saints. She could not experience the same privileges as others. Many, many things were off limits for her. And so she led a tortured and lonely existence. She was therefore a desperate woman. So what does she do? Well, she had also heard about the Lord Jesus. She knew that he heals the sick and that he was now in her neighborhood. She believed in him. And she thought that if only she could touch him, she would be healed. For she doesn't want to draw attention to herself. And that's what she does. She secretly touches him. But the Lord Jesus notices it. And so he asks, who was it that touched me? This question seemed pointless to the disciples, for the crowds were all around him and pressing him. Many people touched him. The disciples were swept along by the emotionally charged atmosphere surrounding the impending death of the daughter of Jairus. They knew that a little girl was dying, and of all people, only the Lord Jesus could do something about it. They are irritated because of the interruption. They want him to hurry up and get on with it. And know this. But Lord Jesus does not allow him to be rushed. Why do you think that is? Well, there are two very good reasons for that. In the first place, he did not want the woman to escape without her fully realizing why she was healed. Her Faith made her well. Of course, it was not a perfect faith. Far from it. And it is not so either that her faith as such saved her. It was the Lord Jesus who did that. But he would not have healed her if she had not believed. Indeed, without faith, she would not have sought the Lord Jesus out in the first place. What would have been the use? What would have been the use if she did not believe that he would be able to do such a thing? She believed, and that's why she acted. But her faith had to be a lot stronger than it was at that moment. For one thing she needed to do is to put her faith into action and not to keep it to herself. For that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to remain incognito. She did not want anybody to know about her situation. And that's understandable. She was petrified. For what business does an unclean woman have in touching the garment of the Lord Jesus? 
She was a persona non grata, an outcast. And she was painfully aware of that. However, after she touched Christ's garment, things changed. The Lord Jesus had made her well, and he had taken away her reproach. It was no longer necessary to remain in hiding. Her faith had made her well. But she had to acknowledge that. You cannot hide your faith under bushel. Faith is never a private matter between you and God. No, your faith includes the whole community of believers and also outside of that. Your faith must also show in the things that you say and in the things that you do. Your faith means nothing if you cannot also share it with others. And she had to realize that. Faith drives away fear. But in the second place, and that was just as important, the Lord Jesus especially had Jairus in mind. He was aiming at his heart. He wanted Jairus to have a strong faith as well. And that cannot be done in a moment, in a flash. No, it is a process. Faith has to be nurtured and strengthened. And for that reason, the Lord Jesus made this man think about the meaning of what had just taken place with this woman and to make him realize the significance of what is about to take place in his own house. What was the iris after? He was after a quick fix. That's what we all want when someone is sick, don't we? He wanted to be able to get on with life. He was already risking his reputation with the powers that be by associating with the Lord Jesus. For already early in the ministry of the the scribes and the Pharisees were becoming the enemies of the Lord Jesus. And so for those and many other reasons, Jairus wanted it to be done and over with. And indeed during the time that all this goes on, there comes someone from Jairus' house who told him that it's now too late. The girl had died. Don't bother the teacher any longer, they say. Come on home with us so that you can mourn the death of your child. There's nothing that can be done. The girl is dead. Their thinking is dead is dead. Once a person dies, there's no longer any hope. But note carefully, brothers and sisters, the reaction of the Lord Jesus. Or actually, his non-reaction. For what does he do? As is especially clear from the parallel passage in Mark, he pretends that he does not, did not even hear what they said. It is as if they hadn't spoken a word. The Lord Jesus ignores them. And he does that for a very good reason. For by his action, he is teaching everyone, and therefore also us, and therefore also me, something very important. Instead of addressing those who came from the house of the Iris, he speaks to Jairus directly, and then he says something very significant. He says, 
Don't be afraid. Just believe. Those are the same kinds of words spoken at important moments in the history of redemption. Those are the words the angel spoke to Mary when he announced to her the impending birth of the Lord Jesus. And that's also what the angel said to the shepherds when the actual birth was announced. Don't be afraid. Believe. And now the Lord Jesus himself speaks these words because now something momentous is about to take place as well. Do not fear. Believe. The Lord Jesus was especially concerned with the faith of Jairus. He wanted him to listen carefully to the words that he speaks. For as a prophet, he speaks the words of truth. Every word that he utters counts. Every word that we have in the scriptures count. It's important. The Lord Jesus wants to impress upon the iris that he is a man of his word. That he can trust him always. Whatever he says will happen, will happen. He is totally and absolutely reliable. And what is more, his words are powerful. They have great significance. He never comes with some empty platitudes, some well-worn phrases appropriate just for the moment. No, the words that the Lord Jesus speaks are powerful and effective and true. Whatever he says will happen, will happen. But he wants the Iris to know and all of us to know that he makes everything happen in his time. Jairus thought that he could set the time schedule as to when his daughter would be healed and even the manner in which she would be healed. But the Lord Jesus teaches him to be patient, to wait for him, to watch him at work. Jairus had to listen carefully to the words that the Lord Jesus speaks. Same thing is true for us. His words are words of life. It is through his words that he creates faith in the heart of the hearer. And that is what the Lord Jesus is aiming for with the iris. He is aiming for the iris and all other believers to grasp the full significance of his divine power. He wants him to trust. He wants him to trust that he alone can bring about true healing. For not only is he Is he a prophet who utters words of healing? He is also a priest who actually restores life. We come to the second point. Finally, the Lord Jesus comes to the house. In spite of the somber message about the death of the child, he goes to the house of the Iris. He does not allow anyone to come with him except for Peter, John, and James, and of course the father and the mother. We're not told why. It could be that it wasn't practical, although Jairus, as a ruler of the synagogue, 
will have been a wealthy man with good accommodations. The house, nevertheless, would have been too small for a large crowd. And it is significant that he takes along only three apostles. They are some of the most prominent disciples. It says in the scriptures that the truth shall be established on the testimony of two or three more, two or more witnesses. These disciples had to be there as witnesses so that later they could tell others about it, so that they could write it down and pass it on to the whole world, the words and actions of the great healer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they were there at that time, we now have this account as well. What did they witness? Well, they followed the Lord Jesus into the house of the Iris. It was about an hour after the girl had breathed her last. And there in the house of Jairus were the relatives and the mourners hired for the occasion. For that is what the custom was in those days. Mourners were hired to lament and to weep and to beat their breasts and to play mournful tunes. That was a duty of love to the one who had died. It was even thought that lamentation and burial had a toning power of its own. They even believed that the deceased person perceives everything until the stone is rolled before the, before the tomb. And so such loud wailing and crying and going on was done especially for the benefit of the deceased person. And the Lord Jesus walks in while all that is going on. The burial is already in full swing. And now what does the Lord Jesus do? He says something quite remarkable. He speaks precious words, wonderful words. In the midst of all the wailing and crying, he says, stop your wailing. She is not dead, but asleep. No one immediately grasps the meaning of these words, especially not those who were hired for the occasion. They think it's a cruel hoax. For what did they do? They suddenly turned from mourning to laughter, derisive laughter. They didn't believe him. They were only doing what was expected of them. Her death had not really touched them. Their mourning was not real. It was only play acting. They were only going through the motions. To them, death is death. Once you're dead, there's nothing you can do about it. No one can escape death. There's no hope. It's also what the world of today believes. But the Lord Jesus wants to teach them about the reality of life and death. And so he puts everyone outside except the father and the mother and the three disciples. And he goes into her room and he takes the young girl by the hand and says, my child, get up. Mark gives us the Aramaic words he spoke, Talitha Kumi. As soon as he had spoken those words, he got up and started to walk around. Brothers and sisters, what a beautiful and tender moment. And what a tremendous happening. What a moment full of significance. She was dead, and now she is alive. As soon as the Lord Jesus says, Talitha Kumi, she begins to breathe again, to move around. 
as he addresses that little girl, he speaks those tender words to her for he spoke in Aramaic, and that's significant. Normally he would speak in Greek. But now the Lord Jesus uses the intimate language that is spoken in the home. He spoke to her in words which a loving father would use in order to wake his daughter up. My dear girl, this is your dad speaking. Please wake up. These are tender words. These are words of life. And then we see that the Lord Jesus Christ as shepherd, as prophet, is true to his word. And as priest restores the life of the little girl. And he can do that because he is the king of creation. As king, he rules all things. Third point. As I said, what happened here in the home of Jairus was very significant. The restoration of life is something quite wonderful. Especially when that happens to a young girl whose whole life, humanly speaking, is still before her. But that is still only a minor detail. For what does the raising of the daughter of Jairus point to? It points to the fact that the Lord Jesus has power over life and death. It points to the fact that every life here on earth is in his hands. He is the one who creates life. He created your life. He created my life. He alone has power over life and death. Oh, sure, we can use doctors and nurses and hospitals to prolong life, and it's wonderful that we have these things, but their powers are so limited. There is so much they don't know, and there is so much that they can't do. Ultimately, it is the Lord Jesus who controls our lives and our destiny. He knows how many days, how many hours, how many minutes, how many seconds we have here on this earth. It's all in his loving hands. And the Lord Jesus wanted the Iris to trust him, to wait for him. He wanted him to know what a powerful God he is. He wanted him to know that there is more than life here on this earth. He wanted him to know that through faith you can have true life, eternal life. And that, brothers and sisters, is more important than anything. For God has created us to praise his name. That's why he's given us life. And we have to do that while we are on earth. And we have to do that into eternity. That's why he gave life to us, to praise him. And so the important thing with the raising of Jairus' daughter is not that he restored earthly life. For even after he raised her from the dead, she remained subject to death. Brothers and sisters, as you can read in Romans 5, death came into the world because of sin. Adam and Eve were disobedient to the Lord God. And that is why they and their offspring, including us, you and me, that is why we deserve to die. The sentence of death now lies over all creation, also today. But that was not the original plan of creation. Death is not natural. It's unnatural. But now by raising this little girl up, Christ shows that he has power over death. He knows that 
he is about to pay the penalty of death. And that he is about to be victorious over death. By raising this little girl from the dead, he is pointing to his coming resurrection. Jesus will die. But by his own power, he will raise himself and be raised from the dead so that those who belong to him will also know the resurrection and the life. But without faith, you cannot be saved. With the raising from the dead of this little girl, he wants to teach his disciple and Jairus and his family that he is the one they have been waiting for, the Messiah. He will save his people from their sins. He wants to teach them that he is the resurrection and the life. The important thing is not that he has given this little girl back her earthly life. No, one day she will die again. She will not live forever. And by through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, she will have eternal life. It's going to take some time before the disciples and all the others understand this fully. It has to sink in. That was the case, not just for the disciples at that time, but also for you and for me. It has to sink in time and again because we are so attached to this earthly life. And time and again, God confronts us with the frailty of human life. And it can be frightening. But then we need to be reminded to put our faith in him all the time. For our minds have been dulled because of sin. Our understanding is very limited and tied to what we see around us. And we need to be nurtured in our faith. We need to be nurtured along. We need to have the eyes of faith. And so... Once again this morning he says to all those who are grieving the loss of a loved one or who are staring death in the face the same thing as he said to Jairus don't be afraid just believe wait for me trust me I alone have power over life and death Amen